This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Our guest this week is Tony Perillo, and he's the president of Asset Management Strategies. Tony, welcome. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate you having me on. So, Tony, you have a have a uh, a very uh, distinguished career, and um, not only you know in finance but uh, taxes and and so forth. Tell us how how did you get to where you are now? Um, yeah, okay. The, you know, I'm the as you said, the president and founder of Asset Management Strategies, which is a uh, registered investment advisory firm. We work with individuals and business owners all over the country, and um, you know, I, I would say that unlike a lot of firms in, in our industry that are financial planning firms first and may or may not do the money management, we're a little bit different. We do the money management and we also do the financial planning. And I think that's an that's a important distinction as we like to say, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line. And what I've found through a lot of the firms that, uh, that I see out there that they they kind of coach their clients on not worrying about performance because, you know, we're in this for the long haul and, you know, um, consultants in the industry would say, you know, don't focus on performance because at some point you're going to underperform and, and, uh, and lose all your clients. I don't believe that. I think that, you know, my clients come into my office, they're, they're not here because they need a new friend. They need to, they need this problem solved. They need somebody to do this work. And, and we, we very much believe that the bottom line is the bottom line. And I don't think people should keep me as their advisor because they like me and my performance stinks. You know, before you got into the, to the finance side of things, you also did, you know, a lot of tax work. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm very fortunate that uh, I grew up in a, in a small agricultural community in Illinois. And um, my father had the only tax and accounting office in town. So I started working when I was uh, 16 years old in a, in a work school program and uh, and kept that going pretty much through college. You know, I uh, have a bachelor's degree in economics from Eastern Illinois University. I studied international business through the University of London and then behavioral finance through, through Harvard. But uh, really the best education was, you know, at a very young age working with people on, uh, you know, pretty sensitive financial information on their tax returns. I remember, you know, I was in my early 20s when I had uh, a guy that I gave him, you know, the amount of tax that he owed and he pulled out this little box and puts a nitro tablet under his tongue. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gravity to, to what we're doing here. Uh, another time I remember 
a husband and wife that were in the middle of a divorce and and for the first time in over six months they were in the same room together which they had to to get their tax return completed and done that was uh, that was a fun fun session of refereeing but you know you um you get to see a lot of different things in a town of of 4500 people we did you know 1800 tax returns so uh you know a lot of farm returns a lot of small business returns um, but you know growing up in a very very small community like that you didn't have a choice about morals and ethics you know if you did something wrong everybody in town knew it that day so uh, it taught you to do things the right way for the right reasons. And, and um, you know, I had people that I would do their tax returns and they'd and they give me a, a 1099 that reflected how much interest income they'd had or, um, or some capital gains from a, a sale of something. And they'd say, you know, am I doing the right thing? What can I do to save on taxes? And literally in the early days, it was, hey, this is great. My money market account's paying me 15%, but I'm losing 70% to tax, you know, when the tax rates were that high and money market rates were that high. And I said, well, you know, go find something that's tax deferred or tax free. And the next year they came back and, and said, oh, great. What did you do? And they said, well, I talked to my insurance guy and he sold me this whole life policy. Or I talked to this, you know, stockbroker and he put me in this real estate limited partnership. And I thought, well, you know, that's kind of odd because I know these people and I know that these really aren't the appropriate solutions for them. But I did appreciate that those were the number one and number two highest commission products anybody could sell right. my client. <laughs> so I, I kind of got into this industry really to protect my clients. And I didn't realize how different that was in the industry for many, many years later. Most people come into the industry and pass a securities test, you know, or hired by a firm and, and the firm says, here's a phone book, sick them. And, you know, they go out to find new clients. We already had clients, you know, and, uh, and I would probably still be there in, in that small community if it were not an agricultural-based community where it's so heavily predicated on capital, you know, to buy farmland and to buy equipment. Almost all their money goes into that. So, you know, they really didn't have a lot of investable assets beyond that. But, but uh, I spent 15 years doing tax returns and, and, you know, working with clients on investments. And I really enjoyed the investment side of it more. And I felt like that had, you know, more, more promise going forward. And uh, so that's kind of the direction that I went. But, but I think that that tax foundation, that tax base, that knowledge is invaluable in what we do. You know, there's nothing that, that somebody in my industry is going to recommend to their client that someday, somehow, isn't going to end up on a tax return. Right. So we need to understand that part of it, too, or we shouldn't be advising people what to do. Right. I think that kind of, you know, goes back to, you know, we talked about a little bit before about, you know, build, building your team of professionals that they communicate together along with you to make sure that, that you're looking at things the right way. Um, what are some of the mistakes that you're that you're seeing the clients make before before they get to you? You know, I think that that a lot of people are not um, that don't understand the returns that the, that they are getting or not getting, you know, in their investments and how how devastating that can be to the plan, you know, to the longevity of the plan. And um, I don't see a lot of people that are tying together the performance and the risk. Okay. You know, that they will that they will come in and say, 
well, you know, I'm, I've got pretty good performance. So, you know, I think I'm doing okay. And then you look at what they're invested in and you think, wow, for that level of extraordinary risk, you should be getting tremendous returns. <laughs> so, you know, we've kind of designed our model so that we address the returns and the risk. And we know that uh, people are significantly more concerned with preserving their, their principal than they are maximizing their gains. But we also need to, to get this work done. We need to get this job done. And most of that means better performance solves a lot of problems down the road for, for a lot of the things that we're going to run into in, in financial planning. So, I mean, you have experience, um, you know, from your, your previous um, work and working with some law firms. Um, and, you know, you were telling me about, you know, that, that um, about the, the Bertie Madoffs of the, of the world and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, the how, side of our industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How can, how can uh, people that are investing in the market or, or picking advisors and stuff like that, how can they make sure they don't end up with someone like that? Yeah, that, that's really been very rewarding work over, um, over 20 years that I've been working with uh, probably the largest law firm that, that specializes in suing stockbrokers. And when you see what our industry is, is capable and willing to do, um, putting their interest ahead of their clients, in, in Bernie Madoff's case, and you know, fortunately those are the exception rather than the rule, rather than the rule when those people know what they're doing is wrong and they continue to do it and they know that they're gonna get caught much more prevalent in our industry are, are things that people don't even know that's happened to them. You know, they're in an investment model or they're in an insurance product that is going to underperform and they don't even know, you know, and um, a lot of times, especially with the insurance products, there isn't really any damage there. The, the ar arbitration committees will look at it and say, well, how much money did you lose? Well, you didn't really lose any money you lost opportunity cost. You just didn't make as much as you could have. And so those are hard cases. And, and a lot of the attorneys won't take those cases because a lot of these are based on a contingency basis. So, um, but it, you know, it, it's, um, it's not uh, unusual for this industry to embarrass me at, at what their, you know, the creative ways that they can figure out how to put their interest ahead of their clients. And, and sometimes it's very subtle most of the times they get away with it. And, you know, the industry has done a good job of policing itself where they don't have as much of the churning issues and they don't have um, a lot of the things that the compliance departments just could not defend and ended up settling for large awards. And the markets have been fairly well behaved for the last, you know, um, 10, uh, 12, 15 years. So, uh, so that, that has a hand in it too. But I, I would say probably uh, the number one easiest thing for people to do to protect themselves is, first of all, um, work with a fiduciary. You know, there's a difference between people that work on the RIA side, the registered investment advisory side, and people that work in a broker-dealer. Broker-dealers are only held to a suitability standard, which is a much more lax, uh, you know, hurdle to, to cross. You know, can they justify selling you something is basically what that means where a fiduciary can't recommend anything that's not truly in the client's best interest. If there's no incentive to sell you one thing or another, whether that's a product or a model, it takes a lot of the due diligence workload off of the investor. 
because you're, they're not being sold something, they're being advised. Okay. And I think that makes a big, big difference. Um, you know, deal with big custodians, you know, Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, um, you know, so that you know where your money is. An RIA is just the advisor in that account. If you add money to your account, you make the check out to Fidelity. If you take money out, the check comes from Fidelity. You know, don't ever work with firms where you're making checks out to the individual or that the money that you come get out of the account is coming from the individual or the, or the individual's firm. You want to make sure that that check is issued by Fidelity. Uh, you know, that uh, eliminates a lot of the problems. And I think that, um, you know, you can, you can ask questions if people charge you based on a fee instead of a commission, then it's more of a partnership. You know, if your account goes up, you both share in that victory. If your account goes down under a, a fee uh, charge scenario, uh, yes, you, the advisor is still charging the fee, but their income's lower and they care about that. You don't like seeing your account value go down, but their income goes down along with that. So you really are more kind of arm in arm attacking this together, not, you know, can I, uh, figure out how to sell you something that may or may not be appropriate for you. You know, it's really much more of a, of a partnership, which, you know, I prefer to work that way. And that's why we, we've always considered ourselves, you know, an advocate for our clients and, you know, figuring out the right thing. And if you, you know, at the end of the day, if you figure out how to do the, do the right thing the right way, you get to sleep better at night. And in the long run, you probably make more money anyway. So, right, right. What are your, um, some of your clients' biggest fears and how do you help them overcome those fears? You know, to say it specifically, uh, clients will say that their biggest fear is outliving their money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but in more general, I would say that, you know, just understanding investors and, and, you know, how their minds work and how their emotions affect their uh, ability to make rational, logical decisions. Um, in, in a more general sense, I think their biggest fear is to, is to make bad mistakes. You know, our job is, uh, in many ways, I think that we are um, what I would call a delegator. You know, our clients don't necessarily want to do this themselves. They don't want me calling them every day saying, hey, did you see what Tesla did today? Or, you know, uh, should we buy it? Should we sell it? Should we, you know, move on to something else? You know, they want this job done. They want this work completed for them. And what they ask of, of a firm like mine are, are basically two things. Number one, do you know what you're doing? Right. Which I think, I think you can prove, you know, with documentation, with some, a little bit of legwork, you know, have you been in the industry for long enough? Do you, do you hold the appropriate securities licenses? Have you never had complaints against you? Uh, do you have the educational background? And that part of it is, is pretty easy to document, right? You, you can look at that, that piece of paper and you can say, okay, I think this person knows enough, you know, to get my 401k rolled over to an IRA account and not have it hundred percent taxable to me. Right. So I think they know that the next part is, is even harder to ascertain and harder to prove. And that is okay, now that I'm comfortable that you know what you're doing, the bigger question is, can I trust you? You know, what we've done is designed our platform working with us so that it requires the least amount of trust as possible. Because I wish that I could, you know, invite you into my 
Taj Mahal office and, and have you walk out with a $40 glossy brochure and you get back out in the car and you say, wow, I, I really feel like we can trust these guys. Right. It, it's not that easy. Trust comes from doing what you're supposed to do, fostering realistic expectations, you know, and, and then delivering on that. It takes time. So we designed it so that we, we, we asked the least amount of trust as possible from people to get the relationship going. And from there, then we just are willing to prove ourselves. So um, I heard somebody say something one time that I thought was a little salesy, but I, but I thought it was pretty clever. He says, you know, all we ask is 1% of the trust, we'll earn the other 90%. So, you know, by holding accounts at, uh, we predominantly hold accounts at Fidelity, big name, you know, trillions of dollars of assets. They administer you know, almost a third of the pension plans, great name recognition, have not taken their turn in the headlines with a lot of other Wall Street firms that, that they've figured out how to put their interests at or find. So, you know, spotless, spotless record. Um, so, and, and as the advisor, if anything that we say is not true, you're not stuck with a, uh, a period of time that you're subject to a surrender charge where you can't get your own money back. You know, there are, are no big commissions that you pay to do business with us so that you feel like, okay, I've got to stick it out with these guys. And, uh, you know, in order to kind of earn that money back, you know, it's an easy relationship to completely unravel. So we have to continually you know, have our feet held to the fire to deliver what we what we tell people we're going to do. So I think that's a that's a really good way to to work, and I think it it relieves a lot of the issues that I've seen over over the decades where um, people can get themselves in trouble because you know even if they wanted to do the due diligence, they don't speak this language. It's like a foreign language, right? Yep. So as I say, you know, most of the, the clients that I work with. They don't want to speak this language fluently. You know, they don't. Uh, they don't want to talk about, you know, sharp ratios and modern portfolio theory and you know regression analysis and all <laughs> all the things that that uh, go into what we what we do for clients. Um, but they don't even want to learn this language enough so that they you know can speak a little bit. Or as I say, you know, they don't they don't want to learn enough words so they can find their way to the bathroom. They want to find a translator that they trust that's going to do this work for them, and and so that that I see is the role that we serve. And and uh, you know I think through the years, having started out with working with people on very sensitive you know tax issues, taught you a bedside manner how to talk to people about about financial um, concerns. You know the accountants have always been the number one trusted, most trusted advisor. Because people come in and by law, they have to bear their financial soul to you every year, right? Right. They don't have to do that ever with an attorney. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's a very coveted position that, that the tax and accounting person holds for good reason. And, and historically, you know, they've not been selling anything. So there wasn't, you know, any conflict of interest to the, the client says, oh, wait a minute, you know, I have to guard myself. Are you selling me something here? Or are you? Are you still just uh, helping me with with my tax returns? So I think that uh, you know that kind of bedside manner, being able to talk to people, I learned very quickly. In a lot like the investment world, the tax world is its own language. 
you know, when you get, do a tax return for somebody, you don't cite chapter and verse of the IRS code section, even though you could off right. the top of your head, right? You know, they don't want to hear that. They just want to know that they're paying as little tax as they possibly can. And you have to give them enough information and explain it in a way that they feel not just comfortable, but confident that they're paying as little tax as they have to. And I think that over the years, you learn different ways to explain things and different analogies that, uh, that, that kind of, you know, um, sit well with people. It helps them understand, you know, very complex uh, issues in a way that, that they feel comfortable and confident. You know, um, I think one of the biggest problems when, when it comes to this, and we see this too with the, uh, the 401k, 403b uh, clients that we work with, because it's, it's very complicated. And in that area, those people have very little help. And every time they think about their 401k or their 403b, and, you know, am I doing the right thing from an allocation standpoint, it just makes them feel stupid. You know, they're not stupid, but this is a, this is a specialty that uh, you really have to devote yourself to. So, you know, um, the last 30 years, there was a Dalbar study that said that the the stock market averaged 10% return per year. The average 401k participant returned slightly less than 1% a year. Wow. I mean, it, it's not even close. And they're just, you know, inherently good at doing the worst thing at the worst time. And they do it over and over and over again. And oh, by the way, this is probably the, the biggest financial decision you'll make in your life. I think it's, you know, really important, you know, and, and you touched on it being the translator. I mean, I always say that, you know, it's like I always put, you know, try to put the, the tax lingo in, in layman's terms for people to understand. And you're saying the same thing. You're you're taking the complex and interpreting form to put it in, in layman's terms. Um, and that's where I would also see, you know, using a professional like you over, you know, because lots of times I, I see the, the 401ks and things like that. Oh, here, call the 800 number and talk to them. Um, every time you call there, you're talking to somebody different. So I think that's important to where, you know, using a professional like you, where it's like, hey, we're going to put together this plan and kind of keep going in the same direction with it or make some changes. And it's not, I don't have to explain my world to somebody each time I call in. I think that's, you know, something that's, that's pretty helpful. Yeah, we, we feel very strongly about that to the point where, you know, we recognize that it's a, it's a real shortcoming in our industry. Partly it's political, you know, when, when this um, rep or advisor on these company plans, he wins over the plan, he does that through the HR office, right? It's very political, it can take yep. years. Um, and then he moves on to sell another plan. So he's not financially incented to meet with the participants. He's not required to by law ever right. meet with the participants. Yep. Uh, the only ERISA law says that they have to offer to meet with the participants twice a year. So you know what that looks like. It's a sticky note in the break room that says, hey, I'll be uh, you know, available next Tuesday at two in the afternoon. We talk to these participants all the time. Do you know who your rep is? Nope. You ever met with your rep? Nope. Do you know how to contact your rep? Nope. So, you know, th there's a huge divide there of, of, you know, service that these people need. We put together a platform that helps people on any plan, any plan. In the, we're not taking over the plan. We're just helping the participants. You know, we're giving them an, a, an online tool 
that will allow them to uh, to put in some information about themselves personally, you know, like a risk analysis kind of profile, a questionnaire, they answer a couple of simple questions, and then it will come back and say, here are the choices in your plan, and here's what we recommend to you, you know, the, the exact percentage breakdown that you should allocate, but more importantly, it will contact them again through an email or a text message if they give them a cell phone and say, hey, this just happened in the market, you need to make these changes right now. Gotcha. So it, it's it's an incredible tool, and I think that it's very very much needed in in the world today because, you know, um, these poor people. I mean, you know, this is a huge huge decision on their part, and they have no resources, you know, to help them with it, and nobody's being paid to do it, so it doesn't get done. So Tony, what what question haven't I asked you that you wish I would have? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Let's see. Um, I mean, I know we, we could go on for days, uh, you know, with a lot of this stuff, but you know, uh, hot button item. Yeah. I mean, you know, my conversations most every day with clients in and out are, you know, uh, center around the same kind of thing. They're more timely about what's going on in the economy, what's going on with, you know, interest rates, uh, geopolitical things, what, how is it going to affect the stock market? And, and we have to address those because those are the things that people, you know, intuitively want to hear answers to because they need to be able to sleep at night, right? Right. But, um, but I think that, that our industry is changing very, very quickly in the last couple of years because we now have tools to be able to manage the risk in clients' portfolios like we have never had before. You know, there are, are instruments that we can use in the construction of these portfolios that dynamically change the way we have this conversation. You know, we've always been an advocate for clients and, and education about the markets where, you know, if you ask a room full of people, you know, how many people think the stock market's risky? Every hand goes up. Right. But if you say, here's a chart that shows the uh, value of the stock market in 10 year increments, guess how many years it goes down? Right. There's, there's no risk if you apply a big enough time period to it. So we help people get comfortable with that in their mind. We're not saying to our clients, you know, don't look at your account for 10 years, everything will be fine. <laughs> you know, that's, I know that's asking too much, but, um, but I do tell people, you know, don't look at it every day, you know, don't right. look at it, you know, pull out your statement when you get it each month. And, and uh, in the course of that month, oftentimes a lot of the drama is taken out. I used to use the example, um, the Japanese tsunami hit uh, about eight years ago, I think, and it happened over a weekend. So as soon as the markets opened, uh, huge sell-off because the, the world was concerned about interruption of supply lines, you know, physical damage to Japan, loss of life, loss of resources, and the stock market sold off dramatically on Monday and Tuesday. By Wednesday, the reports were coming back that that they had gotten into to this area, they'd seen the damage, they've seen the devastation, but fortunately it was an area that was more rural than urban. And, and it was not gonna be uh, the toll, you know, from a loss of life or, or interruption of supply chains that, that the world feared. And by Wednesday, the market kind of stabilized and then it rebounded on Thursday and Friday. So if you were just looking at a weekly chart, you would look at what happened the close of business last Friday night and what happened to the close of business this Friday night 
and the market was almost exactly in the same place. Right. And, and if you looked at that from a technical standpoint, you'd say, well, nothing happened. And so in a weekly viewpoint, nothing did happen. If you looked at it daily, tons of drama, you know, right. lots of emotion and lots of fear Monday and Tuesday. Um, and uh, so, you know, we try and, and get people to take a little bit, you know, longer perspective with things like that. But, but we can't ignore that. We, I think our industry is very remiss and, you know, traditional money, modern portfolio theory says, well, we've, we've built the foundation strong. We can sustain whatever, whatever um, storms come and we will survive and eventually markets will come back and we'll be just fine. I think that's really good advice and it works if you're an, an institution or a foundation or an endowment that is looking at 30 or 40 years of, of time period and you've got a committee of a dozen people making that decision more unemotionally. But that's not who we work with. We're talking to people, right? And we're talking about their retirement savings. And if you think of it this way, every dollar in that retirement savings, how much effort went into putting that dollar into that retirement savings? They had to make that money in the first place. They had to pay the taxes. They had to keep the lights on. They had to feed the kids. They had to keep gas in the car. And at the end of the day, if they're able to save 10 cents on the dollar, that's pretty good. So right. if you think of it that way, every dollar you've got in a retirement account represents 10 times as much in money in effort. And, and once you get to retirement age or close to retirement age, the gravity of that starts to, to set in. You don't want to go back to work. And at some point in retirement, that may not be an option anyway. So, you know, uh, you just have to appreciate how emotional, you know, this whole process can be. And I think our industry just can't ignore that. We can't just say, oh, don't worry about the market will come back. And these people go home and they're, and they're up all night because yeah. they're just scared to death, you know? So first of all, you know, use tactics, use uh, investment strategies that are not gonna scare them to death. You know, um, as we say, you know, the, the only people who get hurt on the roller coaster are the ones that try and get off before it stops. But why put them on that roller coaster in the first place? You know, if we can still get where we want to go and we can do it in a smoother fashion without keeping people up at night and scaring the crap out of them with what's going to happen in the markets um, and still not sacrifice performance to do it, then that's that's a win-win. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you're able to help them manage that risk, yeah, it definitely, I mean, definitely takes a lot of fear out of it. You know, the, the other thing I think that is very misunderstood in our industry is uh, the type of firm that you're working with and the individual that works for that firm, um, you may not know that behind the scenes, their compliance department is telling them, nope, we can't manage money that way just because it's too big of a job to stay on top of, you know, 15,000 reps across the country. So a lot of times with things like uh, discretion, where we have discretion in our accounts, if we see things going bad in the market, we push a button and sell everybody out everything. You know, uh, as I say, there was a, a Jack Nicholson movie years ago, you know, um, A Few Good Men. Yep. And it was testifying. He says, you want me on that wall, right? Right. <laughs> you know, our clients want us on that wall. They want our finger on that button that if things go bad, uh, we're going to get out of the way. And a lot of firms from a compliance standpoint don't allow that. You know, they just don't allow it. So, 
even if they had to call each client and discuss that with them, if their compliance department would allow them to sell out of the account, they would have to call every client and discuss that with them to do that. Well, where do you rank on that pecking order? Are you getting that call first thing Monday morning? Are you getting it Monday afternoon? <laughs> or are you getting it a week from Thursday? <laughs> right, right. And what's happened to the market in the meantime? Right. So, you know, we use a tactical approach that is all technical. It's not emotional. It's not, um, you know, there's no fundamental argument that goes into it. Although we do, you know, follow a lot of the fundamental conversation, but, but it's all technical, which takes a lot of the emotion, a lot of the, of the, uh, the irrationality out of what we do. It's not a hundred percent right, but it doesn't have to be. It only has to be a little bit right uh, before it's extremely powerful. And, and we've got the numbers to back that up. If you walk into a firm that doesn't allow that, guess what they're going to say about that style of investing? Well, Tony, uh, you know, you've given us a lot of information today, uh, a lot, lot for people to think about. Um, if somebody likes what they hear and they want to talk to you, um, how can they reach you? What's the best way to, to, to contact you, be able to talk to you? Yeah, probably the best way is on our uh, website, which is amsraa.com. And under the uh, education tab, we have, um, I think there are 15 short videos on there that are, that are all two to four minutes that will, um, you know, give you a little bit more understanding of what we do and how we do it. Uh, if anybody wants to reach me directly, they can email me. It's Tony F, T-O-N-Y, F as in Frank, at amsraa.com. All right. We appreciate your time. Uh, today, our guest has been Tony Perillo, who's the president of Asset Management Strategies. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate you having me on. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.